Trains can never substitute airplanes on long-haul flights. Air traffic is crucial for global integration, and there is no point in knocking out aviation anyway. Its share of the world's CO2 emissions is too small. If all the billions that are invested in trains instead were to be invested in clean aviation, we would soon have it. Hi, everyone. In this second solo show, I will be talking about something more down to earth than in my first, which was about the concept of time. Or actually, it's not down to earth at all. It's up in the air because I will talk about aviation, as you heard in the beginning here. The case for traveling by air, after all. I wrote this essay before the pandemic, but I believe the main findings hold water. Air travel has obviously suffered a setback, but when this whole thing is over, I think we'll see a renewed steady increase in air traffic worldwide, albeit from a lower base, of course. Practically every vision of the future before the era of mass aviation contains some kind of flying means of transportation from Metropolis via the Jetsons to Blade Runner. Flying cars were legion, and you don't have to go to fiction to find engineer blueprints for those. As a matter of fact, a newly built skyscraper in Miami has already prepared a landing deck for flying cars on its roof, despite the fact that they don't yet exist other than as prototypes. Not to mention the ubiquitous images of the most advanced means of transportation we can envision, spaceships that are run on clean and inexhaustible energy. Traveling above the ground has quite simply been a human dream since Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. And it's not hard to understand why. Mother Earth's surface is limited. Not only humans are in the way, but also a great amount of nature. And these days also quite a lot of infrastructure. Even so, a growing number of people with a basically benevolent and sound engagement to protect coming generations from a feared climate disaster have become obsessed with the emissions from aviations, aviation. And they are now adamant that we need to disregard 120 years of development. Aviation must be scrapped and substituted by rail traffic, they say. Often as simple as that. The debate doesn't encourage thinking multiple thoughts at the same time. Is the problem with flying really so acute that we have to stop? And will trains be able to replace planes as the engines of global integration? My answer to both of those questions is no. And I'll explain why. There's much talk about what each one of us as citizens can do for the climate. It is true that for a Western individual, there is no more efficient way to mitigate her climate footprint than to cut down on flying. But should each and every one of us do all we can in our day-to-day -day life to diminish our specific individual CO2 contribution? Is it wise to think that way? I'm not so sure. What is most important is how the things we consume are produced and how the means of transportation we use to get to work and leisure places are brought about not primarily 
that we buy those things or use those means of transportation, which doesn't mean that it is without significance, of course. It may be wiser to waive 10% of your income to projects that develop fossil-free alternatives or vote for politicians who promise fast and smart measures and uh, join organizations that fight climate change than it is to bend over backwards to maximize your own climate smartness. But if we, for the sake of argument, focus on individual responsibility, it is pretty clear that out of all the energy devouring sectors most of us utilize, aviation is not the worst culprit. To understand the impact of aviation on the climate, it's imperative to know that its share of global emissions is small. Now this factor is not entirely unknown among aviation bashers, but it is generally dismissed on account of the individual responsibility mentioned earlier. In my view, the factor has to be inculcated and cannot be downplayed. Had aviation accounted for half the greenhouse gas emissions from human activities, this issue would have been in a different ballpark, no question about it. Had it accounted for 10%, I probably would not have written this piece, but it doesn't. Aviation accounts for between two and 3% and somewhat more if you take into account the vapor formed at high altitudes. This means that if every airplane were to be parked on the ground tonight and never again allowed to take off, it's doubtful that it would have any effect on the climate worth mentioning. For those who want to alleviate their bad CO2 conscience, there are a number of other measures that stand out as more sensible. Quit meat, sell the car, refuse teak wood and palm oil. Here is an enlightening piece of statistics. The decrease in deforestation that Brazil managed to achieve between the years 2016 and 2017 in one year only spared the atmosphere 780 million tons of carbon dioxide. In rounded figures, that is the same amount as the world's combined commercial air traffic emits every year, which is 860 million tons. Now, please consider those numbers one more time and think about what they tell us about the quality of the aviation debate today. Which measure to improve the world would have less negative side effects to ban flying or to convince the economically diversified Brazil to curb its deforestation? Unfortunately, the answer to that question weighs very lightly as long as aviation is portrayed as the morally worst emission source. Why? Because rich people fly the most. Before morality, facts have to give way. Indonesia is another tree-cutting giant. Its forestry sector has at times accounted for more emissions than the sum total of global aviation. But denouncing Indonesia doesn't strike home as much on the culture pages as denouncing spoiled Europeans' shameless way of living. Besides, flying is one of the most important functions needed to achieving the global integration that is crucial for us to take on the climate challenge. 
if we are to solve this very first truly all-encompassing human problem, we need to strengthen the sense of coherence and unity. One argument I am personally not fond of displaying since it's passive, but which is still relevant, is the following. A sharp decrease in air traffic from today's levels will never happen. Well, apart from the fact that it's gone down a lot now during the pandemic, but that's uh, temporary. Uh, on a longer term scale, it will never happen because uh, no matter how much environmentally conscious North Americans and Europeans boycott flying, the number of air passengers is, is expected to double in the next 20 years because of tens of millions of Asians are beginning to afford to travel above ground, and soon enough, also Africans. None of this means that nothing should be done to develop clean aviation. On the contrary, and things are being done. For short distances and with small aircraft, electric propulsion is already in the works. In the near future, taxi planes will be able to transport people 300 kilometers in one hour on batteries. The German company Siemens is talking about hybrid aircraft using renewable fuel that in 10 years can fly 100 passengers 1,000 kilometers. For intercontinental distances and with larger aircraft, an array of biofuels is being developed. Now that road is still long, however, unless someone soon starts investing gigantic sums in new fuel plants. The aviation sector's general ambition is to have emissions from the 2005 level before the middle of this century, 2050. If all the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been pumped into high-speed trains and other rail projects, the figure has uh, actually passed $400 billion only in China, including the latest massive staking. If that money instead had been invested in clean aviation, chances are we would have been very close to that goal by now. Again, for the sake of argument, let's say it's impossible to develop climate neutral aircraft within the foreseeable future. Hmm, it seems almost unreal to even say that, but let's say that. Should we not then, given that we agree that we are in a hurry, first take the action we know we can take now and we know have an effect on emissions without hurting the economy or the global integration? As you know, there are still myriad measures of that kind to be taken and large parts of the energy, energy transition to renewable sources entail welfare benefits. A ban on flying does not. Okay, so what is, what's wrong with trains? Well, there is nothing wrong with trains. It's an excellent means of transportation on short and medium range distances. In populous countries, it's probably a good idea to build networks of high-speed rail, and Japan is the shining example. China is now expanding fast, which may turn out to be wise, even if, as mentioned, large chunks of land is being blocked. But trains don't do the trick if we are to visit, if visit one another efficiently across larger distances. 
The railway was invented in the 19th century to connect towns that weren't very far apart. The steam engines puffed ahead at 30 or 40 kilometers an hour. Nobody planned for international direct traffic on a large scale. And hence, rail traffic was developed nationally. In the beginning, even actually locally and regionally, which today creates an enormous amount of hassle. In Europe alone, there are 30 different and incompatible signaling systems, at least four different track widths, different power systems, and a number of national regulations. It all amounts to a mess that could give a train buff gray hair in no time. Furthermore, there is no common booking system like there is for air traffic. Traveling above the ground is an improvement in so many more ways than the only aspect that is being zoomed in on right now. It would be an act of charity for Earth if no more human transports burdened her soil. For hundreds of years, we have dreamt of flying cleanly and safely. Why should we give up on that vision and rush back instead of taking on the challenge and do everything we can to truly fulfill that dream? Cramming hundreds of millions more passengers into wagons on tracks of steel and concrete that break their way through wood and land, that can't really be the future. As far as I know, the only ground-based transportation system that might be able to fully compete with aviation is Elon Musk's vacuum-driven Hyperloop. It is meant to reach flight speed and the passengers will be encapsulated in tin plate pods, much like you guessed it, planes. Hyperloop will take many years yet to develop and construct. Perhaps we'll see a rudimentary net of this human tube mail by the time the first climate neutral intercontinental flight takes off. I have to be honest, most aviation critics don't want an outright ban on flying. They only want to uh, restrict it harshly. I personally have no objections against raising taxes on air traffic. The tax exemption on aviation fuel is, for instance, absurd. And I certainly don't advocate that those who can afford it frivolously fly from one hemisphere to the other because they're bored or feel like playing golf. Such behavior is sloppy and lazy, just as it's sloppy and lazy not to recycle even though the local authorities have placed tidy sorting containers in your neighborhood. But the bored millionaires and billionaires must come to that conclusion by themselves. It's not possible to forbid them to fly without limiting the possibilities of global travel for everybody. As mentioned, the need for integration can't be emphasized enough when global difficulties are to be overcome. Those who really mean that flying is the work of the devil, they ought to mean that nobody should fly. As soon as they open up for allowing some people to fly, they end up in tricky considerations. I mean, who should be allowed to fly? Politicians, administrators, United Nations types? For instance, what would their position be if refugees suddenly were allowed to fly again? Refugee activists describe air transportation as the most humane way of migrating over large distances. And it's hard not to agree.
the alternative is the is the inhumane way in oxygen poor trucks and on rickety boats so failing to see a societal or cultural feature in its entirety is all too common like the widespread ignorance about how war democracy and poverty have changed for the better over long periods of time the only reliable way of understanding how the world is developing is to meticulously follow trends and averages remember that trends and averages only that never never to use anecdotal evidence in the climate debate it's often wisely pointed out that it's important to look at the long trends the whole picture but the entirety is also its parts and for many debaters it's apparently difficult to see the parts clearly the narrative about aviation's impact on the climate is muddled by a desire to use moral ammunition let's try to think clearly about flying this isn't something we should stop doing it's something we should improve let's spare mother earth more scars of steel and concrete